equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast. We're back for another week of current events. I'm joined by my co-host, Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? Hey, uh, It's day four of Henry Kissinger being dead. I'm pretty great. It's also day <laughs> whatever of this new government. So bad, on average, fine. I, I'm like, sometimes I forget for a second that he died and then I remember and I smile. Uh, it is It is a good time. Uh, and we're also joined uh, by a friend of the cast. Haven't been uh, on the cast for, for a long while now, a couple of years, uh, but glad to have you back, Oliver. Kia ora. I was going to intro you, but then I, like, whatever. <laughs> people people can know who you are or not. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a writer and I, I live in Auckland was the very, very brief description I gave you. But, um, yeah, I write paralegal documentation. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. now we're fucking cooking. <laughs> and that's and that's all we're going to talk about uh oh, on this episode okay. uh well, no. I, I can we can go into section 27 cultural reports if you want to uh, it's, that was uh, on my list <laughs> <laughs> national are actually one of the things on their list of things to do is to try and phase them out because they're very eager to keep people in prison so they don't like people who do what i do but um yeah let's um <laughs> let's, let's actually not delve into that we've got some current yeah. events to talk yeah, about please 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 <laughs> First up, uh, we mentioned it already, Henry Kissinger died. Probably one of the most evil humans ever to exist. And I like, I don't think that's debatable. Certainly um, a, a colourful chap. And he had a, 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 a <laughs> unique mind. Wow, uh, the Joe Biden obituary vibes <laughs> well, coming through strong already. I Tr- wish, Trevor Mallard, I wish, I wish Trevor Mallard Joe Biden would on say Twitter, that. was it a couple of days ago? It was just like, I met uh, fucking Henry Kissinger once. I had a chat with him, full stop. Giant brain, full stop. You fucking idiot. That's so, that's so close to the Limmy obituary that I met him at a Christmas do once. Oh, man. Yeah, the, the uh, I, I guess very interesting brain when you when you read into um the way that he used to talk about things behind the scenes even to people who were sort of ostensibly his allies we we, we hesitate to do like um backseat or armchair psychology on people but very very sociopathic individual i don't know if that would be a, a formal diagnosis at all but um, the way he talked about people in politics was was bordering on sociopathic and, and very strange. Uh, even his colleagues, I remember reading recently about um, him talking about one of his former colleagues who battled a lot with regret and Kissinger sort of making fun of him for having qualms about what they did in Cambodia and Laos uh, and, and doing like a little, in, in the anecdote right by the journalist, he does like a little fake boo-hoo, rubbing his eyes, crying thing and, and calling, basically calling his former colleague a sook for, for having regret and, and concern about the sort of state of his own soul. Yeah, I mean, wow. it's, it's also a bit rational though, right? Because if you actually were Henry Kissinger and you ever had a full reflection <laughs> on the shit you did... <laughs> You wouldn't have made it to 100. Um, I, I just remember, this is slightly inappropriate because Henry Kissinger, of course, uh, was Jewish, but I had a teacher at Catholic school whose personal theory that she did share with us, which may have been slightly heretical, about what hell was, was that hell is when you die, you see God, and then you realise how bad all the shit you did was. And so it was kind of like a self-reflective suffering was her 
um, idea of what hell was as opposed to a literal pit of fire. Um, mm. and, and so that's that's really been an idea that stuck with me is just like a lot of these horrible right-wing bastards have to keep doubling down on, well, it was the rational thing to do. Well, the alternative was was communism, and that must mean that communism was pretty fucking bad because otherwise Why did we do what it? I've done <laughs> is completely unforgivable. Yeah, so, yeah. There's a rational, like, self-justification to it, but yeah, you know, still I fucking evil. Kissinger went further. Like, <laughs> I think... You know, yeah, you said earlier you're going to plug the Rolling Stone obituary, which is probably mm. the best um, response I've seen to his death in kind of more mainstream media so far. Whether it's in the opening paragraph, they just call him a notorious war criminal. Comparing his body count to Timothy McVeigh's and saying, yeah, Timothy McVeigh couldn't even dream of the yeah. Henry Kissinger death toll. Um, <laughs> hard drive. I also have to plug. A uh, satirical onion style, but for gaming online site. Who's a Kissinger piece? They, they did a Kissinger piece that was players bravely pooling their resources to camp spawn so Henry Kissinger can't come back. <laughs> <laughs> it was breathtakingly good. And yes, very much about his kill count. And like, guys, he could drop 50 nukes on the map with his streak. Like, we need to stop him. Yeah, it's amazing. It is a good, it is a good day when these people pass and you know there's been a lot of discussion around look his his acolytes are still here right yeah the, the, the world he created the institutions he built still exist Tony Blair is really fucking upset that he's gone like yeah which is also yeah, good. he's lost like, his mentor hasn't it <laughs> anything that makes Tony Blair sad is, is good as well keep that in mind um but there's a there's you know there's hundreds of these fuckers um, it is interesting how people who have um, cheered and celebrated so much death and dismay for years suddenly turn into these very, very soft-bellied types and say, "Oh, it's not, it's not good to cheer on the death of Kissinger." It's, it's a, uh, it's that classic sort of like the people who, for them, free speech is their whole thing, and then suddenly they'll flip when it's left-wing people having their speech suppressed. Uh, it, it's that same thing now with them. Um, Oh, we'll, uh, we'll celebrate the death of such and such a person or the people who cheered on what Kyle Rittenhouse going and shooting up a bunch of strangers yeah. overseas. Yeah, you know, hundreds of thousands of civilians, that's fine. Yeah, people, people cheering the death in Gaza and suddenly going, oh, I don't think it's very nice to say ill things about the dead just because he did some a couple of awful things. Who who could say what he really did? And it's, it's this, this flip into this like common sense decency appeal that um, it doesn't... Uh, thankfully, nobody seems to be falling for it. Everyone's sort of pretty um, able will, to see through it. But it is... Well um, a phenomenon but it's it's it is interesting seeing how different perspectives are in china uh to sort of the rest of the west because he's got a very sort of different legacy in china specifically because he's the one who sort of facilitated the um, nixon visit and sort of helped basically bring about the end of those sort of uh, america china tensions um and so over there they don't they don't have that same sort of focus on uh, his atrocities also because they weren't necessarily um had the best track record in cambodia and vietnam either um and so their their sort of perspective on kissinger is very very different or at least in, in the in the in the sort of upper echelons of their society yeah it's uh it is a leadership thing as well right like for sure this person um <laughs> You know, it's it's not like a, you've got to hand it to a moment, but Kissinger had a hand on the biggest international relations and policy uh, decisions for most of his lifetime. You know, this is yeah, just even, a fact. Beyond when he was working directly in government. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and this is a thing about him him dying and you know all these institutions and all these 
acolytes of his still exist, but he was still an advisor to leaders across the world. You know, he he still had a direct impact on policies that were being implemented, and now he can't. Um, and yeah. that's a that's fantastic. I mean, the that entire fantastic. Yeah, the Obama administration was still going to him all mm-hmm. those years later. I don't know how much this current sort of Biden. Uh, regime would have been going to him at this point. I don't. I don't know how salient he would have been at this point in his life. But um, yeah, the, the fact that all those years later, despite him not longer working there, he was just someone that they would go to and be like, "Hey, can you think of any? What, what, what's your take? The, yeah, what, the, what atrocity the, should we commit here? The, the <laughs> future of Cambodia. Who, what what should we do next? Um, that was kind of. Uh, it was crazy that that was his legacy among the upper echelons of society. That that there was this class of people for whom he wasn't a monster at all, and in fact a, a respected friend and colleague and consult that you would go to for further foreign policy advice. It it, it it's dizzying. It's sort of mm. it's that same thing of like when you look at people who can look at uh, what's happening in Israel Gaza and and be completely obsessed with um, only the sort of pro Zionist perspective. And it, ma- it sometimes makes you feel like you're going nuts because you're like, do you, do you not see? Like, surely we're seeing the same things, um, but that doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a dizzying experience. One of the really, I guess, a good example of the, the people that, the kind of people that Kissinger leaves behind with his legacy was this um, this guy over in the States, Stuart Seldowitz. Uh, who was filmed just doing the most obscene harassment of a kebab cart owner. And, oh, yeah, I saw this, yeah. Yeah, and then it turns out he's, like, uh, in the policy team for years for yeah. the Middle East, you know? Um, yeah, and he, he well, he, he, on the right side, he got arrested for hate crimes for that. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll see what comes of that. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, yeah. this, is, um, this is a kind of lost uh, person job, that, that yeah. comes out of these institutions yeah yeah the, the fact that he could spit that kind of like just totally unbridled hatred at a completely random um vaguely arabic looking man mm-hmm. for no reason other than just literally the color of his skin and the sort of language he's speaking uh and, and that that guy was making decisions on a on a world level is um uh it, it, it makes you wonder what's said behind closed doors when the cameras aren't rolling uh, in those sort of cabinet meetings yeah, and you know, as you said, he he did get arrested, but how much of the, the kind of backlash is because oh, he said it in public, well right? Free. Yeah, you know, like, exactly, exactly. You yeah. know, He'll and, and he, he didn't get those he didn't get those views in a in a vacuum. You know, yeah, he, he hasn't become this person through you know thirty forty years working in the foreign policy industry without other people sharing those views around him. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, uh, it's a thing that I've said about um, Gaza as well, but it feels like it's not an oversimplification to say that literally all of this boils down to racism. The hundreds of thousands of people who died because of Henry Kissinger were overwhelmingly people of colour in countries that don't have English as a main language. So there's a, a distance that is actively encouraged where we are not meant to think of those people as people and we're not meant to think of their children as children. Um, also, shout out to Radio New Zealand for the article that revealed that we trained Cambodian child soldiers. Go NZDF. Um, <laughs> and it just comes down to that. And I think I said last time I was on that right-wing politics comes down to not even thinking that your own people are people, but there's a whole extra level where all of our cultural blaséness about 
what people like Henry Kissinger did can only be explained by the fact that we do not think Cambodians are people and we do not think that Vietnamese people are people and and that's the only unifying theory that yeah, makes this a, in any way comprehensible. There's a layer a layer of abstraction isn't there to to that where people they they can look at I remember I remember this being discussed years and years ago when talking about things like the Rwandan genocide and sort of uh, starvation in African countries how easily and sort of blithely westerners talk about it things that like if they were happening in our own countries would be cause for like armed insurrection and just horror uh, and it's and you're right. It's the exact same thing in Gaza, where uh, we we sort of expect Muslims and people in the Arab world to just be victims. They're just model mm-hmm. victims in in a lot of, in the sort of uh, unexamined Western mind is just oh well, you know that that's where they live. You know that's where all the violence happens. And I don't think that there's a lot more to it, is there? Like it, there's this kind of desire to. Um, to not overthink it. And I feel like that's shattering a little bit. I think mm. the, the, if one good thing can be said about social media, it's that it's, you, it's, very, it's becoming very difficult to think about these things in pure abstractions anymore. And I think that's causing a lot of people a lot of psychic harm. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, probably ultimately for the best that we start sort of reappraising our way of thinking about the world which is very hard. We're not, we, we as a species, we, you know, we've spent the last uh, 40,000 years I'm sorry, that's a terrible rough estimate. I just said the number, uh, sort of Yikes. in these little communities and, and we would venture out of them. We'd have like an OE, we'd go and we'd learn. And, and now, you know, sort of in the, in the modern era where we're having to sort of engage with this whole world of people we don't even know. Uh, and and we're not, <laughs> mentally, we're just not prepared for it. We were never prepared for it. You know, but I, I think, I think, I feel as weird as this is to say, sort of semi-optimistic about the the shift in the narrative. Mm-hmm. As as someone who's been going to these stupid fucking, I'm so sick of having to go to the marches for this cause. But like for for over a decade now, and and feeling that sort of sea change in in public attitudes, specifically on the Palestine issue, where it used to be sort of very very hush hush and almost controversial mm-hmm. to say palestinian people are humans and they're being persecuted uh and now that's like i think pretty much just the mainstream perspective and it's this it feels huge it feels momentous uh even while despite that fact i still feel very powerless i still feel like yeah. we have we have this you know um to meme uh commissioned those polls in new zealand to get a sort of bead on what mm-hmm. new zealanders thought about the idea of a ceasefire overwhelming support even in national even even most national voters were like yeah ceasefire seems like the way to go even majority uh, in yeah. act in new zealand first yeah <laughs> like um and and despite that um it still took a few days but you know chris hipkins eventually came around H- having before that said you know obviously we we back israel's uh, genocide you know you know like the fact that that we've had that sort of shift in public perception obviously though what matters is what you know america and israel think and that's the that's the tough nut to crack but i don't know I, I'm, I'm glad that we're winning that information war finally mm. Yeah, it's really telling, and to come back to your point as well, Stephanie, way that the PR, the the public relations approach to it uh, from the states and from the IDF has been to to get into this dehumanization narrative because uh, because people are seeing uh, Palestinians as people via social media, maybe, as you said, for the first time ever. I know out here in the kind of... On the the edges of the Imperium, it's always been seen as a political issue, 
first and foremost, just like here is Palestine or here, or here is Gaza in the West Bank, here is Israel, um, and that's unjust, right? Like, and 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 because you're lucky when they say that's unjust, yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, I mean that just in the activist community, oh, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, not uh, not to the wider society who don't even think or, about or, it at or all. they say, oh, it's so uh, the it's other so one is oh, it's so complicated, it's oh, I don't know, oh, anyone who's confident about this must be talking out their ass because I don't understand it, which is still unfortunately a very popular position that a lot of cowards like to take, yeah, but um, it's. It was. It started shifting incredibly quickly because the atrocities being committed are just so horrific. Uh, people can see it. Yeah, that thing you said about how Israel's sort of approach to the propaganda is really falling to pieces, and I, I think that's really spot on. There was a, a really interesting, a um, well reference on Twitter, uh, a guy talking about his theory behind this, which I thought was quite compelling. Which is that in Israel, because their media is so censorious and they basically only allow sort of one perspective ever to be on any sort of public news, he was saying they've basically sort of curated a very um, regressive and very circular sort of mindset about Palestine and about the Palestinian struggle. And they've, they've very much normalized uh, at least in um, a lot of sort of the, the uh, pro Likud uh, faction of Israelis, this very like aggressively dehumanizing, but normalized way of talking about the conflict that has become so sort of self-sustaining that now they're just publicly posting that sort of stuff. Mm, yeah. So they're going on their on their Twitter accounts and be like, yeah, I love slaughtering the animals, which is something that I said to my friend at a barbecue the other day, but I forgot that most of the world doesn't like it when we say this kind of stuff. Mm. I was going to say exactly that. I think there's two sides to what social media has done with this conflict because one is actually humanize Palestinians and allow us to see these people as people but the flip side is also yeah. reveal that there's some fucking grotesque shit happening in israeli yeah. politics like the one i saw that i literally couldn't watch more than a couple of seconds of was a compilation of tiktok trends from israeli tiktok Oof. of young people dressing up as palestinians and pretending to have been shot and it's just like you know we can fucking see this right this is this is publicly accessible stuff and it is not making you look like the sad little victims huddling in your bomb shelters which is the vibe you've been trying to push yeah fucking 75 years but yeah i think it's really and and the emboldening of far right and ultra conservative views on the defunct twitter has also just really shown that this is actually what's behind the actions and there's certainly a lot of people who still don't quite get it who still for a variety of reasons are uncomfortable about palestinian armed resistance in the face of military occupation but what's been interesting to me is knowing some people like that is seeing just how quiet they've got because mm. It has become untenable mm -hmm. to try to thread that middle line of, of course, I, I support Israel's right to exist. Why don't you condemn Hamas? And then you're like, well, I did. Why aren't you condemning Israel? That's the, um, yeah, that's the corollary. Yeah, I think like, you know, you've got these examples of the public and cultural life of a section of Israeli citizens uh, coming through the social media sites. But then you also have what their politicians think is yeah. uh, like above board and it just gets worse every other day they're absolutely emboldened it, because just the like, us won't most... fucking do anything about it so they're like no one can touch us and just it becomes more and more absurd as well and I, I say it gets worse but it was like incredibly bad right from the start it just hasn't stopped 
but the one I'm, I'm particularly thinking about, which is in the last couple of days, was the mayor of Jerusalem, who was trying to explain to a CBS anchor, I think, about how it was okay to shoot a child for celebrating the release of a prisoner um, because we said because they said they weren't to be celebrations um, as Palestinian yeah, uh, why, why hostages were released. Which yeah. was never an edict. It was just something that Ben Gavir had said that he didn't he didn't want to happen. And watching her trying to like to say it so matter of factly, as if it was a total justification of shooting a, a child, was always oh, celebrated when a family member got released from detainment by Israeli authorities, uh, for which they were never charged. You know, and you just it's so it in. comes down to that racism. That child isn't a child. That child is a Palestinian and therefore a terrorist, if not now, then in future. So it's self-defense. Like we're seeing that logic just not even be hidden anymore. And normal people are very rightfully going, hang on, that is not what I'd bought into. Yeah, it's um, a lot of a lot of the old stuff is sort of falling to pieces I, you mentioned before about the sort of the social media influencers who were doing this sort of like you know blacking out their teeth and, and doing blackface and stuff um and how sort of unpalatable that is it's been interesting because i i grew up in the, the church and so a lot of my sort of old social circle is very conservative and very pro-zionist as you know the majority of the zionist movement is is western christians the the rationale for that I remember they, they were saying they're making fun of this concept of Pallywood, which is this very popular idea among conservatives. Among some of the spokespeople who have been used consistently by New Zealand media as the Israeli side um, yeah. of, of the current atrocities. But it's, this idea that they've got these like Steven Spielberg level productions going down there with just like they're just building these big fake houses and stuff. And, and, and then you... You contrast that. So there's this this delusional belief like, oh, it's all just performance. They're all just down there. They're putting dust, sprinkling dust on their children, which is what those influences are claiming. It's a crisis actors argument again, right? Yeah, mm. it's, it's, that, it's that really unhinged sort of conspiracy theory sort of thinking, but normalized. And, and that's very popular in the West. So the West, that's, and it's all curated to Western audiences. So you see like Israeli influences speaking in English rather than in Hebrew, um, mm. specifically because they, they know, oh, well, we were trying to win hearts and minds in the West with sort of, it's American backing that we need more than anything. Mm-hmm. But um, but then you actually look at what sort of like people like Netanyahu is saying, where he's like talking about Amalek, like he's, he's, he's invoking this like biblical doctrine of in this particular instance, I fully support the slaughter of women and children. Uh, and, and so that's, again, that's, I was talking about earlier, that sort of contradiction starts to make you feel insane because these Westerners are going, oh, they're being very careful. They're being very precise. They're not intentionally killing women and children. And then it cuts to like a smash cut to Netanyahu. And he's just like, oh, no, we are very much intentionally killing women and children. The whole point is to terrify and frighten forever. And we've, and had, that, we've had that report come out um, just in the last couple of days showing yes, that the yes. AI that they use to choose like targets what a a chilling chilling concept they called it the gospel it's fucking insane it's this is like you know we often talk about oh we're we're already living in a dystopia this is beyond that you know this is bad shit it's so telling that they use the name the gospel which really like you know the the teachings of jesus christ yeah Uh, (laughs) it's, it's a it's a little bit of like a a peek behind the curtain. I want to say mask off, but the mask has always been off. It's just this, it's this look at like the sort of inner workings of, of Zionist culture that it's, it's, it's so explicitly uh, anti-Jewish 
uh, and and so completely not in line with Jewish teaching, but it is so perfectly in line with Christian teaching. Um, and that they're, that they're probably, I don't know, I don't know what degree they're aware or if it's a winking thing or if they're doing it on purpose to try and make you feel insane. But the sort of constant reminder of like, yeah, we're actually a, more of a Christian movement. We, you know, that, that um, sort of throwback to the first part of the conversation, remembering Henry Kissinger, sort of that very famously anti-Semitic comment he talked about how he said, if it wasn't for the accident of my birth, I would also hate Jewish people. Um, because he, you know, he, he, uh, what was the full quote? If it wasn't for the accident of my birth, I would also be anti-Semitic. There's no way that you can be persecuted for 2000 years without doing something wrong, which is uh, like what a... <laughs> What an, uh, a stellar insight into the, into that totally a monster. Brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my only regret about him dying was that it wasn't at the end of a rope or at the end of Anthony Bourdain's fists. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's all bad, uh, and it's got worse again uh, in in Gaza with the see, yeah. um, the ceasefire the, that never ceased. Yeah, mm. the what the humanitarian pause. Which has, didn't cover the West Bank, so it was fine that they kept murdering West Bank Palestinian children. It's just and, and detaining I love um, for the Palestinians to replenish the the prisons um, of all the uh, Palestinians that they released. But yeah, it ended with Anthony Blinken fucking fleeing the country, saying, "Oh, they've promised they're not going to harm civilians anymore." Uh, and they immediately dropped flyers in the south saying, oh, you've got to move from here as well now and started bombing major cities in the south. Yeah. Um, they've killed 178 in the last 24 hours, as the last count I saw. It's fucking monstrous. Like, it's, there's no argument. A thing that, that has always struck me, and I've, I've never quite figured out how to put into words, but it's just baffling how much people, including in the West's reactions, are just like victim blaming sexual violence survivors it's like well why are you staying why well, are you yeah. staying you had a, a warning why do, why do you keep doing israel's this? so why do you moral keep letting him hit you why don't you go through the border move. crossing that's currently being bombed like why don't yeah. you why don't you just leave into egypt why don't we you gave just, you, you know? a warning yeah and and again sorry I'm, this is my thing just circling back to the racism the whole idea of why don't they just go to egypt because obviously they're not real people so they can't have an attachment yeah. to their homes because yeah. real people are attached to their homes and where they're from and where their families are from. Um, but Palestinians can just move to Egypt. It's just like Palestine, right? It's also full of brown people. So the logic only works if you're deeply racist. And, and the fact that that argument is literally an argument in favour of ethnic cleansing, because that's the, that's the thing that <clears throat> has struck me about that is how normalised this idea is, is like, well, you know, they've been warned, why don't they just leave? You know, if they don't like the violence, why don't they just leave? And it's uh, a, a weirdly high number of, of Zionists I've spoken to in the last month uh, have just been like, yeah, why don't they just leave? You know, why don't they just go into Egypt? And, I'm, and, and they're like, well, why don't you condemn Egypt? And I'm like, okay, we're, we're getting into very like uh, off off topic territory when you start pushing those kind of things. But I think, yeah, that's an argument in favor of ethnic cleansing. And I think the reason that sort of stuff is so popular, those sort of slogans, that sort of slogan approach to arguing is so popular is because I think, I do, I do think that the average Zionist is becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the violence that's unfolding on their, on their watch. Uh, and, and I think that there's a, a realization among a lot of them that they can't win the argument on compassion. They can't win the argument on reason or logic or legality. 
uh, <clears throat> and they can't sort of win on, on sort of the precedence of history either. And so they have this tendency to just sort of jump to the same sort of looping talking points of like, well, what about the Holocaust? Uh, or, or what about the fact that some people are anti-Semitic? Or what, what about the fact that uh, people are being forced off into, you know, why don't they just go to Egypt? Why isn't Egypt opening the border? They, they, they have to keep moving away, the conversation away from whatever it is that Israel is actively currently doing in this present moment um, because as, as long as you stay in that territory, it's increasingly obvious it's completely indefensible. Mm. The question is, who's dropping the bombs? Israel's dropping the bombs. You know what needs to stop? The bombs dropping. You know how we stop that? Israel stops dropping the fucking bombs. It's pretty like- easy. And a lot of these talking points have come straight out of like Israeli spokespeople. One of the other ones is, oh, if a whole bunch of different countries just took 10,000 Palestinians each, then that would solve the problem. We just scattered whole communities and families outside of this place we don't want them to be. That would also be fine, right? They can just email each other on our birthdays. But something that hasn't really been examined um, at length, uh, like in the international media or wherever you want to say these things should be examined, is the continued rise of these attacks on multiculturalism, and you're seeing them particularly in Europe. Um, you know, it's why Germany is so <laughs> pro-Israel, um, because a lot of those arguments are coming through there. Um, you've seen it in the Netherlands just now uh, with Geert Wilders winning an election and the rise of discourse around ethnostates, which is being used to justify, oh, why don't they just, you know, this is where that, why don't they just go to Egypt where they'll be happy with um, other Muslims? You know, that's where this kind of, argument comes from Mm. is that uh, everyone should just live in ethnostates because then different cultures won't butt up against each other and you won't have discord this is literally what they say it's really disgusting shit shit. it's just nazi shit but it's being wrapped up as this very like sensible conservative tradition and you're seeing it more and more from what some might call uh serious or sensible right wingers like oh but what we really don't want is uh communities to be fighting each other oh we don't want crime we don't want (laughs) we 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 actually don't like hate speech and we don't like hate crimes and the best way to avoid that is to just put people in their separate like purely ethnic countries (laughs) and just like you'd usually get word pure there a few too many times (laughs) well speaking of uh yeah again going back to make sure that we're still speaking ill of the dead the last uh public comment made by henry kissinger was was uh, specifically when he was interviewed about the sort of ongoing Israel-Gaza conflict and he his, his final comments of the interview was him saying he doesn't like all this rioting and, and sort of uh, protesting going on in Germany and he, he said the problem was that we let far too many immigrants in. It's been an ongoing thing in Europe for the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, oh yes, the immigrants who are uh, in the protest. We've had it here and even in New Zealand yeah. uh, saying like, oh, it's because of it. Um, if, if you look at it, it's not really New Zealanders who are at those protest marches and just like, fuck off. Yeah, it's 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 certainly um, it's certainly New Zealanders and it's New Zealanders. For, I mean, we've, my partner and I have been going and taking our baby to the marches every week. We missed last week, but we we went to um, sort of everyone prior to that. And it's it's an incredible crowd of people. Like it's it's the most they're they're, they're so sort of passionate and diverse and there's there's people from all walks there, there is mm. pakia kiwis there's a, a lot of maori there's a lot of uh pacific islanders who sort of understand that sort of decolonial component better than probably a lot of um your average people around the world uh mm. they they understand the sort of importance of that solidarity but it's also really awesome because we're walking alongside our sort of um, arab world um brothers and sisters huge indonesian contingents um 
<clears throat> and then you, you compare that to the sort of the the rally that uh, they had for the sort of pro-Zionist, yay, we love what you're doing, keep it up, sort of um, protest, the baffling sort of Destiny Church one. And it was Destiny Church and about 100 white people. <laughs> and that was it. It was just this, this rabid, fanatical Christian cult. And, the, and then a group of old white men um, sort of standing around in a, in a thing, waving these like sort of Israeli flags and, and calling for the bombing to continue, I guess. That was their big demand was um, keep, keep it up. <laughs> keep yeah, doing what you're doing. And, and they'll, they'll wrap it in uh, another language, right? Um, because they even they know they can't be so outspoken about their murderous desires. Well, that's that's the disingenuous thing. Yeah, they, they're, they're very like, oh, well, you know, th- like one of the big slogans of the Zionist thing has been bring them home, bring them home now, bring home the hostages. And then you point out that Israel has now killed like a third of the hostages or something like that, like a, a, a 40 or so now confirmed hostages killed uh, by Israeli bombing. Uh, and uh, uh, as, as soon as they die, obviously the, the Zionist answer is to go, oh, well, Hamas must have secretly killed them and then put their bodies in the rubble. But it, 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 it sort of beggars belief. It's very clear that Israel doesn't give a shit about the hostages. You know, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu hired that sort of social media influencer to pretend that he was a, a member of a, uh, who's a, a family member of someone who'd been taken hostage who went down because all the all the, the families of the hostages have been calling for a ceasefire so they, they've been sort of having these marches in in israel and saying please stop bombing gaza you're going to kill my mom you're going to kill my cousin who's who's currently in gaza please stop bombing and uh Likud, they they got an influencer guy to pretend that he had a family member who'd been kidnapped who went down to one of those marches and was just screaming at people and calling them traitors and and uh and stuff uh because that's that they hate their own people they just mm. like they, they they have complete contempt because anyone who of their own people who stands against their goals is also the enemy. Yeah, mm. anti-Zionist Jews are also the enemy. You know, it's mm. it's just that that mindset is so decayed. People supporting the shit in the rest of the West are to the right of most of Israel. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, you know, it's 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 ludicrous, and and that's never that's never brought up. But I do want to move us on because we've got some homegrown. Uh, news to talk about as well. I was uh, going to say, speaking of unhinged bullshit, should we talk about our government? <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Like they're not, but everyone in a New Zealand poll on social media or wherever they interact with me who was telling me that, oh no, National are not going to be as bad as, for example, Liz Truss. They they're not going to just like uh, adopt Act and New Zealand First policies and and run with those that that's silly that's not sensible <laughs> at all national are, are going to have the the majority of the vote among those parties so we're going to see just normal center-right shit um and mm. we don't have to worry about extremist and radical policies oh and and winston doesn't really believe the stuff he's saying he's not going to actually do the policies that he's campaigning on in order to keep yeah, the support of his fringe fucking fans like just eat it Fucking eat it. And, you know, I've seen some of these people, like, now being like, oh, shit, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. They'll never admit that people on the left were right about this. Um, Yeah. They'll never fucking admit it. And they'll never, like, change the way they interact with this in any way that's going to be useful in the near term. Obviously, this this is like a an inflection point, and hopefully, we see more people go. Oh, wait, yeah, the the coordinated right wing movement really is accelerationist in its own right, uh, because some of the well, we saw it immediately with the nego- the coalition negotiations and the policy that had been adopted from Act in New Zealand first. But now we've had this hundred days like policy platform stuff mm-hmm. released. We've seen a couple of the big things that 
they've picked up from New Zealand First and Act that they want to implement as soon as possible, which are just ludicrous. And I don't think I've ever seen this kind of... This is, like, worse in some respects than what people were saying Boris Johnson was doing in the UK, almost causing a constitutional crisis with the temerity of it. Like, this is well outside political norms. Yeah, we're 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 certainly um, we seem to be in that sort of era of of uh, political decay. I think, at least specifically in the conservative movement, for sure. Uh, sorry to quickly throw back uh, something I was going to mention and I forgot to was um, how those old interviews with George Bush sort of surfaced from like two thousand and oh, I want to say two thousand and three or two thousand and two uh, Intifada, and there was an incident in which Israel killed eleven civilians during a sort of incursion in Gaza. And George Bush, George W. Bush, the, the butcher of Baghdad, uh, too, <laughs> the, the man condemned it and, and heavily criticized Israel for, for the killing of 11 civilians and just how far we've fallen down this pit that now Joe Biden, the ostensibly center-left leader, refuses to criticize Israel and then says Israel has a right to defend itself when they kill 20,000. Uh, that was I, so that that I, decay, I, I guess. I uh, don't know, man. All the all the right wingers <laughs> posting that little graphic showing how far the left has just run away to move the center. <laughs> like I, I I agree with that instead. Now it's it's just on the face of that you can like you can compare the current right wing movement to even a few years ago, and mm. it is incredibly clear just on the evidence how quickly they have descended towards fascism, like mm. just o- overtly. Yeah, um, and. You know, we're like yada yada. We don't use these words lightly, and the the podcast one of two hundred has always been in the group of let's not overuse this um, mm-hmm. as regards uh, the big terms uh, like fascism <laughs> and, and genocide. We're we're fucking there, folks. Like mm. we we can we have evidence of it now. We can see that these are fascistic things that people in parliament are like at least uh, hinting at if mm. not outright in, in agreement with. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, David Seymour said he he hopes somebody blows up the Ministry of Pacific Peoples and now he's in government. Oh, no, that was yeah. just a fucking joke. Yeah, but like even in, even in a joking context, mm. that's the sort of joke that years ago would have ended a politician's career. Yeah. And, mm. and this yeah. time it got him elected. So I wanted to pick up a couple of things from the 100-day plan just with my unique viewpoint as someone who was a candidate in the uh, recent election. <laughs> so it's fucking deja vu all over the place with this. And I think it goes to the point about the how the debate has moved and how the right have moved to the right. Um, just going to plug another podcast in a very gauche way, which is I Go Don't on. Speak German, who do a lot of detailing of the very far, like, awful, awful fucking openly Nazi um, commentariat in the States and and thus have mapped. And so when I see things pop up, I'm just like, oh, fuck, not this fucking line. Because you can see how these things are getting propagated on literal Nazi, I mean literal swastika, they will openly call themselves white supremacist podcasts and media sources, and then it gets laundered into a Fox News talking point, and then it gets laundered into Republican policy, and then at some point it becomes New Zealand first and acts policy. And you can see this, um, you can see these pipelines, like, and we've been saying yeah, it for years as well um, on the very podcast. very fucking evident, it's- and it's going to kill me over the next three years to watch our media just not notice. And I have a specific example for today because the ones that that really got me one is this world health organization oh we're just not going to sign up to things until they've passed the national interest test and this is going to be the story of the next three years is just 
absolute cook of shit that <laughs> people who people like Shane Retty, who we were told he's one of the good ones, a, um, are just going to launder all. and are just going to excuse and pretend that oh no, this is all very very normal, like every single candidate in the last election was not at some point asked a complete cooker question about whether the World Health Organization is going to take over our hospitals. They're not, they're not, they're not. Just getting my little disinformation pushback out of the way there. We all got these fucking questions. And national candidates and Labour candidates pushed back against them, but I would argue not hard enough, not in the you need to stop spreading these dangerous ideas because they're dangerous, but just in the oh, well, I'm sure we wouldn't sign up to anything that would, you know, subvert our democracy, blah, blah, blah. Complete fucking nonsense. We had that question at Oharyu candidate meetings. We had the questions about sex education and gender ideology and getting it out of our schools. And every single fucking time, Nicola Willis, my fellow candidate in Oharyu, more than happy to pivot that into their god-awful an hour of reading, writing, and maths like basically implicitly endorsing the idea that we shouldn't teach kids sex ed, though she would deny that. She thinks she's a liberal. One thing that is like really uh, important to note on that as well is if National are saying, oh, we had to pick this up as part of coalition negotiations from ACT in New Zealand first. Yeah, we, our hands are tied. <laughs> but the idea was first floated in New Zealand politics from Nicola Willis and Christopher Luxon at a candidates meeting, you know, and, and everyone was like, hey, wait a fucking second. What did you just say? Um, and it was a little, we had a little media cycle about it where they had yeah. to like resile from it. it. It wasn't, this wasn't one of the fringe party's plans in the first place. It but was now a they're also plan. downplaying it. So you've got literally in the text of their coalition agreement, remove and replace the relationship and sexual ed- sexuality education curriculum. And then you've got fucking Erica Stanford going, oh, no, no, we're just going to take a fresh look at it. Like, I just need a journalist to say, that is clearly a lie, Erica. We can't just report that as, well, one side says this and the other side says, no, it's fine, actually. There there are objective facts in place here. And similarly with the World Health Organization story, the reporting of that on Radio New Zealand is all, here's all this cooker shit. And then it's Aisha Verrill having to say, this is fringe stuff you see on the internet and I'm sad to see it made policy. Good on her for saying it, but it's not, it's not Aisha Verrill's opinion that this is a fringe conspiracy. It is a fact that this is a fringe conspiracy. And to not report it as such, to act like it's, well, Shane Retty has one opinion and Aisha Verrill has another opinion. Who can say? Let's let the readers decide. Is a complete abrogation of journalistic integrity and duty. And I'm just, I'm already so mad, Kyle. And I'm. it's going to get worse because this is going to be, this is going to be what they yeah. do. This is going to be what National do. And this is going to be what the press gallery do for three years. And and people are going to fucking die. We say do as if it's um, as if it's going to happen. But but I feel like it, we, we I mean, it was already happening, right? Like we pre, pre-election, there was this sort of constant cry from people, at least in the social media level I follow, of being like, why are you not interrogating some of these claims being made? Uh, and uh, uh, someone rightly pointed out the other day the, the difference between New Zealand Herald headlines written specifically by the same journalist, Thomas Coughlin, how prior to the election, he'd written and published uncritically this article uh, talking about how National was going to put another $200 uh, back in the pockets of the average Kiwi in terms of tax relief. Uh, and now, after the election, once the policy is sort of now sort of rolling, 
Rowling has followed published a follow up saying the average family will lose about forty bucks a week. Um, <laughs> and it's just this kind of oopsie. And it was like, well, you actually had that information prior, but you published the other version, the very, very happy pro-national version that made it sound like they were going to give everybody free money. And it's only after they've won the election that you're actually doing your job and publishing the the investigated, fully costed, examined version where you're looking at the policy and finding out what it's going to do. Uh, which was publicly available. It was all there for you. Other people were pointing you to it. Other people were telling you, hey, this is actually going to cost the average person a lot of money. Uh, but they were just like, ah, you know, they, National have said that this is how much money you're going to get. Uh, National well, that, have said this. That makes it an opinion. You can't fact yeah. check an opinion. Honestly. And, 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 yeah. And it's that, that laziness that and that lack of journalistic integrity is is frustrating uh, to say the least but it's mm. it's costly as well like it's it's gonna you know I, I, there are there are financial costs to all of this we, we you know p parents with young children lose their subsidies uh and and uh, people on low-income households lose the, their uh stipends and stuff so there, there are real consequences for all of this stuff and I, I it's not it doesn't mean anything to me after the fact that people come out of the woodwork and go ah yeah okay whoops you know how could we possibly have known when we? this were is what we're going to hear a lot oh i couldn't have known they were serious about this thing they said they were going to do something yeah, else we're going to be hearing such a joker and we Winston needed a change such a joker. you know this idea is like oh i was just voting for change we just needed change oh it's it like, just so vibes it's just vibes no one gives a shit <laughs> no one gives a shit just fucking get out like this yeah. is um i don't know it's not ivory tower it's something else you know it, these people in the kind of like substrata below the ivory bunker yeah <laughs> it is like yeah absolutely um where they're so like protected from the consequences of these actions that they have uh given away responsibility for something we're going to be hearing a lot over the next three years is oh lots of people are saying yeah. which which if it comes out of anyone's mouth in the media or in national is oh we're letting conspiracy theorists run this one yeah and we've heard that around the stuff with the who stuff we've heard that around the, the fucking winston peters claims that the media is being bribed yeah, guys, he's coming for you. He's coming yeah, for you. Look, you yeah. might want to start pushing back maybe in your own interest. If no, not in the interest no, of too hard, too hard. We just we have to actually do both sides. But like, I've said it too often at this point, but both sides in our way into fascism is like the pipeline right now. That That is yeah. the way this stuff has been planned to be mm. facilitated. You I know, think that's the thing, right? It's a plan. This is a deliberate strategy. This isn't just, oh, whoopsie, suddenly we have the phrase free speech on campus being banded around. Suddenly we have the phrase, um, you know, let parents teach uh, important issues like sex and sexuality. Suddenly suddenly we've got all the same weird cooker issues that they have in the United States. I wonder what's... what that's about. Let's wonder... not look at how the oh. United States cookers are clearly funded by fucking fracking billionaires. And, and this is where, like, you start to sound like a weirdo conspiracy theorist. Apologies to M. Dentith, but it, it's this is all just verifiable fact. Yeah. This is this is what they do. And and the thing, just to go back to the sex ed thing, because this just really, I'm I'm so mad. The line that National are using is, well, there's no denying this curriculum's created a rift. No, a whole bunch of fundy Christians who think women are property are mad that we're teaching young people that they have autonomy and agency in themselves, and they've made a huge fucking noise about it. That's not a rift. 
that is a bigoted fringe the way there's always a bigoted fringe anytime you do anything that acknowledges people's basic fucking humanity i actually want a fucking riff there make that riff bigger make that riff fucking bigger um honestly that it's yeah as you say this is all evidence like this is this is very very playbooks for this stuff and they've been being written and implemented across the western world for 70 years and the sorry uh anyone in media listening but you've been hacked like they understand how you work um and whether that's uh controlling you via advertising uh revenue streams or by access journalism pipelines or by doing this weird thing which is uh to set up multiple far-right media platforms and pretend they're serious Thank you, Duncan Grieve, for platforming Sean Plunkett to announce mm-hmm. his new $2 million funded by Rich Lister's far-right conspiracy theorist uh, radio program and then pretending it was just journalism and not uh, Mates Rates uh, deal. Because those platforms, uh, you know, platform alongside Reality Check Radio and now we've got News Talk ZB Plus, which has another bunch of cookers attached to it, are going to launder these ideas and platform people who are just so extreme with the purpose being that other media organizations will say these people uh or it has been being said somewhere else uh or there have been reports of it's the fucking dirty politics playbook we, we, have know, how this works. About <laughs> we know how it works we've seen it happen cam everywhere slater writes shitty story david farrow links to cam slater story going interesting if true stuff or the herald or whoever else posts it's been reported on david farrow's blog that like guys we've done this so many times so many times and in this case they've got um and they will have this more and more often with the people in parliament now but they've had a, a local councillor get on the record and just spread like defamatory shit about wellington's mayor i and was wondering every if we single pivot yeah you know, every pivot single media platform latest. has then just like talked about these things as if they're fucking real like, think- what the fuck are you doing <laughs> Yeah, I, I know you were saying that uh, that thing about how you, you're sort of hesitant about using the, um, the the big F word in this context, but I, I think it, it's it's an interesting one. I almost feel the exact opposite that we we need to start using the word more and helping people better understand what fascism looks like in the 21st century because it's not being implemented in that sort of like militarist takeover. There's not going to be these sort of goose stepping soldiers walking down the street with guns. Yes. Uh, we They learned yet, yet, but they, the, the big lesson I think of that sort of era uh, of Italian and German history uh, was that subtlety is actually very, very, a very powerful tool. Uh, that sort of like reintegration of Nazi officers back into the West German government uh, was like a, a prophetic, uh, the, the physical manifestation of the ideological evolution of the fascist movement, which is now very um, insidious and very careful. Uh, th- there's that, that quote about how the fascist will, will try to exhaust you with constant sort of billowing of arguments rather than engaging with any kind of substance, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier with the Israel conflict stuff. They just throw information at you and you'll sit there and you'll try your hardest to sort of answer everything that they say. And when you finally get down into the nitty gritty, they'll sort of wave their hands and say the time for discussion has passed. So that the whole idea is is just creating, uh, as Daniel Guerin put it, this this sort of smooth block 
that I've talked about, the, the block of granite that you can never get a handhold in because it's just this sliding surface that you're stuck on. And I think contemporary mm -hmm. fascism is that. It's, this, it's, it's bafflement and it's confusion and it's discord and it's people profiting off that confusion in order to implement these dehumanizing and, and anti-human, uh, anti-joy, mm. anti-happiness type policies in the, in the mix and in the middle of that sort of milieu. Because, um, yeah, I, I think they know that you go out there with people with guns and you start marching the streets, you're going to meet violent resistance. But if you can just addle people and if you can leave mm. them sort of confused and lost and not even sure that they're voting against their own interests a lot of the time uh, and you use those sort of democratic methods so you can say, oh, well, we did it all through democracy. So we're, we're allowed, you know, like uh, Likud is the democratically elected party of uh, mm. Israel and they're an explicitly fascist party. Uh, so you could use that. They use these sort of like legal, the legal mechanisms, the, the legal methods to undermine liberal democracy. And it makes it extremely difficult to push back on because you know someone will tell you oh you know that's that's just uh that's just how it works unfortunately we just voted them in so and if i just circle back to the 100 day plan i think like i wish my dream is that someone could look at that 100 day plan and go oh it's all a plan like it's all a good plan but you know because they do this they go oh today's issue is just going to be screaming because a teacher brought a dildo out in class and the next day is going to be screaming because a drag queen's at a library and the next day is going to be screaming because um one of the other ones which we were mentioning before recording the sexual the sexual section 27 cultural reports for offenders like actually having context to why people commit crimes oh my god the world health organization stuff when all of these are just the scattershot oh this is the issue that jordan williams is pitching you today so you might as well pick it up because there's nothing else to cover it becomes scattershot and confusing but here it is guys it's a plan mm. it's all in the first hundred days and i think that there's this vibe of wow look at this random assortment of higgledy piggledy policies that david seymour and winston peters have gotten it's not when you view that hundred day plan through the lens of how would i make new zealand a more fascist place it's a very coherent first hundred day plan. And I'm sure that this will be just appalling to the liberals still desperately clinging on in national who are just like, no, it's just what we had to do in order to have a fiscally responsible government that Special rebalances the scales for employers and white people. Like this is a plan. It's when you think about it in terms of how does this benefit powerful, rich, white men, it's all there. It's very coherent. Please, someone notice. And it's called a plan. Yeah. They're calling yeah. it that. They're, call, they're calling it a plan. And it's and, and it's all this idea that Chris Luxon is just sort of being dragged along and all of it. Uh, and it's probably not, you know, he's supposed to be the voice of liberalism, but it's it's clearly not. Like it, it, anyone who's sort of engaged with him on, on any of what he's said, anything that he does, uh, knows and can attest to the fact that this is all stuff that he actually just kind of stands by. He he's, he he won't stand by it publicly because he knows a lot of it's pretty unpalatable, and he's a uh, he is for all his failures as a as a person and as a leader. He's, he knows how to be careful. As a as a CEO of a company, he wasn't particularly good CEO of New Zealand, but he he did know to be careful. Uh, and uh, he hides that. And I, we're told that we're not really allowed to talk about his faith. Like that's like some unfair ground that we're not allowed like to bring up. Argument. Which is yeah. uh, bullshit, bullshit. Because they're like, oh, how would you feel if he was a Muslim? It's like, it doesn't matter because we're in a Christian society. We live in a, in, a, in a society that was formed on those Christian values. And it's fine for us to do that sort of internal critique. The fact that he's a fundamentalist Christian actually has a very, very strong bearing on how he is going to lead and the sort of policies mm. that he's going to favor because he genuinely believes that women should be silent. 
violent and he tolerates women uh, on other grounds, on, on the convenient grounds. But, but on an internal level, on a, on a biblical level, you, you start to look at what he believes as a Christian. There's a lot of problems there and there's a lot of things that you don't want anywhere near governance. And we actually do need to be able to talk to him about him in those terms because he, he's not just a, he's not just like, a, oh yeah, I, I still go to church sometimes kind of mm. will be, will be Christian. He's, he's like a deep in the tank kind of quite a weird Christian. Uh, and he's the he's the sort of one that we need to be thinking about. I also want to say though, I don't think it's just because our country is um, ostensibly historically founded on Christian values. I think a person's faith absolutely does matter in the sure, same way yeah, that their yeah. political beliefs matter. But this is just sorry, this is a rant I've had for a while in my head. Um, <laughs> when people are like, "Oh, but Christopher Luxon said his faith won't influence his policy," how could it not? Your faith, not? and I'm saying this as a deeply, deeply lapsed Catholic girl, your faith <laughs> is the core of how you believe the world works and how you believe humans interact with each other and what you believe is a good outcome or a bad outcome. Like if you're not, if you're a person of faith and you're not bringing your faith into your politics, then why the fuck are you a person of faith? In the same way that if I went into politics, (laughs) if I got into parliament, you know, 2026, let's do it. But if I get into parliament and I suddenly go, look, obviously... My feminism isn't going to affect the policies I support. <laughs> I don't want people to judge me as an outspoken socialist. I just want them to see my real values, which yeah. are apparently not the values that I have stood by and espoused and worked towards my entire fucking life. The idea that, and even if Christopher Luxon were Muslim, if he were the kind of Muslim who was going to the kind of church that says the kind of things that his Christian church says, he would never get into politics in mm. this country because of the racism. But we have this weird bubble of, well, you know, he thinks women should be property and that abortion is murder, but I'm sure that won't affect the decisions he makes around women or abortion. Like, how could it not? Come on, guys, don't be this stupid. And I, I guess we have that. We, we we both have that perspective then as sort of members of, because you know that that Christianity, it's, it exists on an existential level. You're dealing with matters yeah. of eternity, which it, it, philosophically would always matter more than the temporal nature of our, our current reality. So why would it not be your top priority? And it is like basic Christian doctrine says that if your own family would, would cause you any problems or cause you to sort of move away from your devotion to Christ, then you need to abandon your family. Like that's, that is the, it, it, your faith is supposed to take pre- precedence over your own children, which, you know, like as someone who's uh, estranged from Christian members of my family, oh, over this type of thing, I can tell you it's true. They do it. They they will prioritize their faith over us every time because they're yes, they care about us. Yes, they they care about people. On a, and I'm sure Chris Luxton is not a, a, a sociopath. He's not. I don't. I wouldn't say that. I, I think he probably cares about his people. He probably cares about humans. But ultimately, he's thinking in the these sort of. Um, biblically philosophical terms which is that what really matters at the end of the day is whether or not you sort of are able to ascend into this eternal life uh and if you think that that's not going to color his priorities in terms of governance you're out of your mind you're you're not just like Hmm. uh uh being sort of glib or dismissive you're you're deluded there's Hmm. just no way it isn't his primary concern in terms of governance and this change to the um sex education guidelines is uh, cool. is a very clear piece of evidence of that. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we've been told, oh, we can't talk about what he said about abortion, blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that should be right back on the table and every uh, reporter who is questioning about this should, oh, should be asking, 
oh, so mm. you have done this, which you said you weren't going to do. Does this mean you're also going to go after abortion rights? Yeah. Like, yeah. that is yeah. fucking open season now. Like, there, mm. is, there is no way. It is a, you are not doing your duty as mm. a, as a reporter if you don't mm. ask that at this point. Also, and I just want to, I just want to make this as a pitch. Like, journos, I know I give you shit, especially when I'm on this podcast. It's Kyle. He's a bad influence. But <laughs> another yeah, really I'll, I'll fun thing. I'll be the nice journos. I like journalists. I'll be that A really guy. fun thing you could do for the next three years is just ask Christopher Luxon a series of yes/no questions and report yes! when he doesn't answer them because he won't. Just interrogate. A, we don't know what he believes about anything mm. because he's got the worst case of ceo management jargon brain i've ever seen and it is so fun to get people like that and say okay but the policy mm. says three so it's three right well you know the policy is just a blah, blah, blah. come on just nail him down it'll be really funny you'll get great headlines prime minister refuses to answer our questions again deputy so prime minister accuses so much, us of bias yeah. yet again other deputy prime minister attempts to twerk you know there'll be so much good content in there guys content yeah. That's people, people, it. people it. you yeah. get to be good journalists and get views well there's it's yeah a win-win it's like there's... the whole the classic um frick news hub when they got that shot of david clark shitting on ashley bloomfield and just zoomed in on ashley bloomfield behind him oh, looking slightly yeah. sad comedy <laughs> gold also good journalism david clark wasn't a great minister do more of that it's yeah. gonna be fun we'll all or, that or the or the um the what was it uh power to goldsmith thing the the little um segment <gasps> that they put together yes. for that like that that, got, that went everywhere on social media they got so much traction from that and all it was was just put them in a corner and record what they say and there was this thing that sort of it sort of emerged during this sort of covid thing and i think i, I really disliked it but it was people were really concerned that any sort of criticism or questioning of Jacinda Ardern during that time could potentially undermine our health response. I, I understand why people were scared of that, but it, 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 it seemed to evolve a little bit into people becoming reflexively very upset about any sort of uh, critical questioning of uh, the Labour government during those years mm. to the point where they would overtly criticise journalists who were asking difficult questions during press things going, oh, can can you can we stop doing this? Or going, oh, I, I don't know, like, they're, they're doing their best. And there was this very defensive thing that came out. And I remember at the time just being like, we guys, we can't, we can't be discouraging. Those are the journalists we need because they're the ones who, when this government inevitably loses the next election, which, by the way, fucking called it, uh, <laughs> uh, when they lose the next election, those are the guys that we want in the press gallery, guys and gals, the women, uh, in the press gallery, holding their feet to the fire and asking difficult questions and putting mm -hmm. them on the spot. Because, like, and it was pointless defense anyway because Jacinda Ardern was amazing at fielding those questions. They would yeah. ask her a difficult question and she would answer with these really snappy responses and it's like, great, you got your soundbite perfect. Please mm. leave that journalist alone because they're doing their fucking job. Watch them do yeah. the same thing with Luxon and watch him just go every time because he doesn't have good answers and he's not good at that stuff. I'm also going to say, again, this is a bugbear I've had ever since the, the live COVID stand-ups, is people not understanding that sometimes journos are actually just asking a question in order to get a good response. Like, yep. So a, a lot of it was quote. things like, what do you say to people who say unhinged shit? And you'd get a lot of angry lefties on Twitter being like, why are they repeating the unhinged shit? Dudes, they're doing it so they get a really clean cut of Jacinda yeah. Ardern going, what I would say to people who believe this kind of nonsense is please fucking stop. 
It's a that's layup. That's actually good. Yeah. They're helping. Yeah. It's a layup. They're feeding They're her dunks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I feel like we're short of time, so do we just want to touch on my Wellington mayoral yeah. fucking issues? Yeah, please get in. Revolting. Okay. God. Um, so, so here's what seems to be the issue. Uh, Tori Fano had some drinks, um, and then someone, and I'm just going to say their name absolutely rhymes with Ram Pater, uh, decided to put around a story that there was video of her doing something unknown i've heard a version of the rumor i'm not going to fucking repeat it what then happened is media reported that there was video or they at very least heavily implied there was video which they said they hadn't seen so that makes it okay to just imply that there's incredibly um scandalous video out there of our mayor doing something right no it fucking doesn't i'm so mad about this i'm so mad about the constant obviously coordinated attacks on Tori yeah. Fano because then it immediately becomes, oh, well, should she be mayor? Oh, well, sh can she continue as mayor? Um, somebody, I saw it was a tweet, not a tweet, sorry, a bleat from Coley Tangerina um, about how someone said, oh, of course, if she's got addiction issues, then that's a very personal matter, but it's still important for us to know on as, as no, a city. It and it's, no, it it's not. Getting drunk in a pub, like getting drunk in a pub when you've previously said you're not going to go out drinking on a Friday night anymore because you've previously had some issues, not a great look. Also, not anywhere near the top 50 worst things Wellington mayors have ever done that actually mm. had an impact on the goddamn city. Then we get, circling back to a theme, Nicola fucking Young, who has some absolute cool getting on her high horse about integrity, um, going on the fucking platform with Sean Plunkett to basically say, well, I haven't seen the video, but but respected Wellingtonians have told me they've seen it. And I'm yeah. like, okay, so who from the Taxpayers Union lives in Wellington these days? Because honestly, just the most obvious beat up that if you were a journalist and you got fed it and you published it without verifying there was a video, Hand in your fucking card. That's every because outlet. I expect to see someone from every single outlet just fucking bank. resigning at this point. Yeah. And then I went back um, because when there was some uh, further discussion of it on Blue Sky, I went back to, the I think, the Radio New Zealand story, and I'm pretty sure they edited out all the mentions of the video because suddenly the word video isn't there. There's just one line at the top of how reportedly filmed by a third party, and then there's no comment about the rest of it. Yeah. Got had. You got played. Whoever fed you that, you have to burn them. Mm, if you're yeah. not going to hand in your journalistic career such as it is you need to never take that person's calls again no you I need to, you need to go out of your way because, to write a honestly, story about them because the story them. here is is that there are people on the on the right wing and the far right who are running around stalking left wing uh elected representatives to try and get damaging footage um or rumors about them and that they're feeding them to media and to right-wing politicians as a hit job. That's that's fucking like ludicrous. That's... And it's because they can't win the policy debate. Like, sorry, guys, you lost. I had this experience, again, as a candidate, just to humble brag again. At a candidate's meeting in Wadestown, I basically said, look, the people of Wellington, the whole city of Wellington voted, and we voted in a council that is very pro-public transport. People shook their heads. And I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, that's... It's just how numbers work. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I get that you, the people in this small cafe in Wadestown who hate Let's Get Wellington Moving because it's going to take all the car parks. I yeah. get that you don't like the direction this council is going in, but a lot of people voted actually. 
And this is the way it went. And what we've now got is just repeated leaks and repeated hit jobs. I wonder who they're from. None of it is coherent. None of it is actually grounded when you look at it. The number of even the stories that are ostensibly about policy, like the one I'll never stop going on about, about the Cobham Drive freaking pedestrian crossing where someone insisted that she was totally following the speed limit and a pedestrian just leaned in front of her out of nowhere and it's like i've driven that roundabout there is no way that is physically possible (laughs) the journalist involved apparently hasn't driven around that roundabout because again just published it well this person said it was dangerous it just because she's putting forward progressive policies because she's a maori woman because she's upsetting the status quo and it just I, I have no words for how disappointing it is to see journalists continue to fall for it or continue to bet that next time the pendulum will swing the other way and suddenly all the right-wing councillors who've been feeding them documents and stories and suggestions of videotapes will suddenly be in control. And I don't know what they do then. Like yeah, That's I mean, what we always see is the excess journalism doesn't work. The, the They're thing not going to reward you. Yeah, and it's, it's hard not to... Um think uh if the shoe was on the other foot if tori fano was a uh, older pakia gentleman uh and conservative in her politics you would not hear any of this no we know that's the case it's, it's not even just, hard not to just, think this is just evidence it's it's, like... uh, yeah and yet uh this is this is this is i guess it circles back to that idea of this like degradation in the conservative movement of just muck just constant muck uh, because the, the, there's no way to win on reason and there's no way to win on compassion. Uh, mm. It just has to be this just bizarre and salacious and very disingenuous stuff that I, I maybe, maybe I'm looking back on the past with slightly rose tinted glasses, but I feel like it wasn't th- it wasn't this bad before. Not even in the and, last and, and round of dirty politics. I don't think it uh, got quite this. Bad. It got this this filthy, yeah. And and, and also the the sort of the um, growth of the botnet industry. So you you look at like when I the way I heard about the story uh, was just from some random person on Twitter talking about oh uh, awful situation and and. Uh, you know uh horrible to see the rumor mill going around and underneath it was like a hundred comments of people just spreading this insane lie just just all just all of them could and, and most of them clearly not real accounts they yeah were the, 30, 30 follower accounts created in september of um, 2023 no profile picture no other posts just replying yeah well i saw the video i've seen the video uh and it's just this that makes me it, think the video is probably real though yeah it's no. that <laughs> But, no, it um, doesn't actually. To yeah, uh, to use an overwrought term, but it is that manufacturing consent thing. It's it's completely fabricated. It's it's this we 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 create this idea that there's this public consensus that a thing must have happened because well, I heard it from so many people now. How could it possibly mm-hmm. not have happened? Uh, that that seems to be the sort of dominant way in which that sort of information stuff. Uh, is, yeah. is pushed and fed into the community, and it's hard. It's hard to then unravel that. You, the, the work of fixing that is so much harder than the work of making it happen in the first place. And this is why I said at the beginning of the year when we we're starting to move into the election campaign, uh, and we saw this uptick, an incredible uptick among sock puppets and bots um, from the the right wing um, and from the far right. All media just need to turn off fucking comments on their social media <laughs> accounts. Oh my god! Like, yeah, or at least restrict the replies to people that they follow so they know that the people responding are real um mm-hmm. and the same with the outlet accounts themselves when they're posting stories just turn off replies just turn off fucking replies turn off replies folks. all that being said though i think 
I think while it does affect a certain contingent of our society, it is it is encouraging. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot more lately is whether or not that sort of like social media bubble effect is actually as impactful as I have assumed it has been in the past. And a big thing for that has been circling back again, that Israel-Palestine thing of seeing how much... Uh, despite the constant stream of disinformation yeah. coming out of the IDF, despite the sort of constant um, support from like verified bots on on social media accounts, sort of constantly pushing the narrative, despite the fact that like communities like Reddit have become just entirely uh, censorious, they they literally will just ban anyone who says anything pro-Palestine on there now. Despite the fact that th that sort of control of media narratives is so present we're still winning the majority of of, yeah. of people now are, are sort of on this side they're on the right side of this mm. issue now um so i'm starting to get this impression like maybe uh yeah the, the this whole social media bubble thing is not as dangerous as or not as not as impactful i should say as I, it's yeah. certainly dangerous but not as impactful as i had assumed it had been the impact is this uh because i, I agree with you about public sentiment um, and we've mm. said for a long time the public is by and large progressive and social media has actually yeah. helped to, to build that because of the way that they've formed communities and curated their social media for themselves to see like-minded people and spread information uh, that is useful um, to their communities. The flip side of that is that doesn't hold true for institutions and people in institutions in the same mm. way. So politicians and media are far seem to be, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable making this point, seem to be far more able to be influenced in this way than your average punter because they don't have that support network on social media in the same way that just a normal human being does where they've created like this left-wing uh, NZ poll bubble that they can fall back on when they're being brigaded. And especially for a lot of people in the New Zealand media who are so invested in both sides um, and so... The, the knee jerk is to circle the wagons uh, for, from any critique mm. that when they get this constant barrage of accounts saying this stuff, they are, they're far more likely to be radicalized than just a, a casual member of the New Zealand politics community. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it leads into coverage <laughs> and it leads into the politics of the nation in the, a way the... that a normal person wouldn't be able to influence. And I guess that that's the the the, the uh, allegory there is that it's not it's not broadening necessarily the reactionary movement, but it is most certainly deepening it. Uh, it's it's not reaching more people with this stuff, but it is taking the people who are already there and driving them much further into that sort of dark dark pit. Yeah, it's no. And look, there's going to be a lot of bad shit, and I I don't think that some of this right wing muckraking is going to stop unless you know, decision makers uh, within our media put their foot down on it. But I believe there are decision makers in our media who love this, um, who are radicalized, mm. who are at least happy to air conspiracy adjacent stuff. Like we, yeah. we've seen this happen. We've seen been we've been seeing this happening since COVID when was it Melanie Reed from Newsroom sat down with the Voices for Freedom leaders and called them just like concerned moms. Yeah. You know, there are people within our decision-making structures and media and politics who are happy to peddle this shit. And until the institutions themselves realize that this is destroying their institution um, and is leading into some very bad places, that's not likely to stop. Mm. Uh, and that's why you need to support independent media. Like, subscribe, and uh, <laughs> support one of 200. And remember, Henry Kissinger is still dead. <laughs> yeah, I, and... May his many contemporaries follow shortly.
I think the best thing we can do is just keep talking about it, um, keep servicing yeah. it, uh, and yeah, work with the communities to provide backup for each other because, and that includes people who are journalists. I, I want to be very clear. Look, if if there are oh, journalists yeah. out there who need like support, one or 200 actually, as far as antagonistic as I am uh, towards journalism in New Zealand, um, <laughs> I, I want... There are Our phenomenal journalists in New Zealand, to be clear. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like it's not their fault that their bosses earn $350,000 a year and Minimum. see themselves reflected in national party policy and therefore steer the direction of the papers yeah. that they edit towards things that benefit them. Like, it's not the journalists on the ground's fault that that's what their bosses no. do and believe, yeah. and that's why they highlight that stuff out of I, I, want, our media, I want our media to be great, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I want it to I, be great. Yeah, I... I I yeah. want things to be good. And that doesn't mean I want it to be overtly left wing, although that would be nice. Um, <laughs> no, it would be more I, I, in line with reality. And yeah. More in line with reality, but also the fact that, that the, the idea of non-ideological big media, it's a, it's a myth. It's a myth of the past. There is no way to, to sort of recover that ideal ever again. Yeah. We don't have Murdoch here, <clears throat> but in some ways it's almost worse. Um, we might as well, for all intents and purposes. We have absolutely. many Murdochs, lots of mini Murdochs. Yeah. A horrible, yeah. horrible situation. So yeah, hang in there, everyone fighting the good fight uh, across these institutions. We we do have your back, believe it or not. We see uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> we see you, we hear you. Uh, please fucking go to work. That's been another episode of One or Two Hundred, though. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, uh, Stephanie, once again as co-host. Happy day. And welcome back uh, to Oliver. Thanks for oh, coming pleasure. back on. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you want to find Oliver online... Where can they do that? Uh, uh, well, I I am semi-anonymous, but uh, you, you can find me at uh, Oriwa on Twitter with an underscore at the end of it because the other one was already taken. <laughs> that's just Oliver and, and Reo Maori. Um, yeah, but um, th- yeah, that's me. Great, great. Um, <laughs> I'm still on Twitter. I know everyone's on Blue Sky now, but I think I'm just going to ride Twitter to it. Do you need a code? Do you need a code? No, no, no. Code. I actually got sent one and I, I made an account and then I was like, you know what? I'm, if if Twitter's going to die, I'm just going to let that be the end of it. I'm just going to I'm just going <laughs> to spend more time with people I can love and care about. <laughs> Whoa. I know. Radical. Weird. And you can find me and Stephanie as as per usual. Um, Hopefully, you know where to find us both at this the stage in the piece. Just follow the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back uh, midweek. Uh, we've got a podcast lined up uh, to drop uh, mid next week. And we'll be back for current events next weekend as well. We'll catch you then. If our fences are then I'm living a pointless life, but I'm learning all your lessons. Fucking politics is no distinction. The words are now. It's paid with good intentions. Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell